This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 20. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. Uh, We are in that holiday season. Uh, I absolutely love this time of the year, and so we wish you absolute Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, uh, and and hope that everyone is doing well wherever you are this holiday season. Uh, We'll have a couple more episodes that will be recorded before Christmas, but this might be the last episode that's actually published to the podcast feed before Christmas. So I want to make sure I I gave a shout out to all you and, and wishing you a Merry Christmas. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And I'm joined today by a special guest. We're, we're going to promote you, Brian, to guest host. How about that? <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Been promoted from guest to guest host. That means it comes with some responsibilities. And the responsibilities, I guess, are sit there, look awesome, and uh, answer all my questions. <laughs> I will endeavor to persevere then. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, uh, we welcome you. We're going to have a fantastic episode here today talking with Brian Hill from The Complete Combatant about his newly coming out. uh, I mean, the the common term would be like an instructor development course Mm -hmm. that he calls deliberate coaching. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into it with Brian. You know, here's the thing. We're going to be talking about things a lot, I think, from a kind of a coach or instructor perspective today. But I do want to encourage you to stick around, even if that if you're you're like, that's not me. I'm not into that. I do think there are going to be takeaways for those of you that are just trying to get better as shooters or concealed carriers or self-defenders, because there's going to be lessons along the way. Uh, As you just said a moment ago, before we went live with the recording, the Mm -hmm. podcast, Brian, uh, that we had, we all have at least one client, mm-hmm. right? And who is that? It's ourselves. Ourselves. So, and, and I'll tell you, it, when you can start self-diagnosing self, even just realizing like what you are going through, what you're experiencing, uh, all of that, like when you become more self-aware of yourself, uh, in whatever endeavor it is, but especially in the shooting discipline or anything self-defense uh, oriented, like I'll tell you, when I started making some some strides in that regard, then I started really advancing as a shooter because all of a sudden I didn't have to wait till my next class with an instructor mm-hmm. to get that feedback. Now I was taking what I had already learned from others and from instructors, and then providing my own feedback loop and bam, you just start really taking off. So it's going to be a valuable discussion here today, folks. I do want to mention, first of all, that uh, today's episode's honorary sponsor is Brian Hill's <laughs> The Complete Combatant. You can find them at The Complete, I say them, it's really Brian and Shelly, your wife. Yep, yep. TheCompleteCombatant.com is your main website. And if you want to get a direct link to uh, his page on deliberate coaching and learn about his schedule for attending this awesome three-day uh, instructor certification program, go to co- the completecombatant.com forward slash deliberate dash coaching dot, dot HTML. The link's in the show notes. You don't have to memorize it. Just check the show notes. You'll find the link. Today's episode also sponsored by 
the uh, by Guardian Nation, our membership program that we have at concealedcarry.com. Uh, we've got many of you uh, members out there. And those of you that are members, you probably know, but maybe if you've forgotten uh, or you haven't taken full advantage of it, we do have our Guardian Nation live broadcasts that we do once per month. Uh, in fact, this date we've done, I think, 50 Guardian Nation live broadcasts. We have one tonight uh, with uh, Chris Seipert at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So I know for those of you, if you're hearing this or catching this podcast after the fact, you've probably missed it. But uh, uh, those of you listening or viewing live, hey, you still have a little time. It's 7 p.m. Mountain Time tonight. We have Chris Seipert on. Brian Hill was on our GN. We call it GN Live for short. Mm-hmm. Uh, last October, October 2020. So here's the thing. We have almost 80 hours of interviews with top instructors and subject matter experts across the industry in a variety of, of, of disciplines and subject matters. Brian's one of the many that have been on our GN Live broadcast, but to participate and to be able to view that or to go back in the archive uh, in, in the library of videos from past shows, you got to be a, a member of Guardian Nation. So I'd encourage you to go to Guardian Nation, GuardianNation.com and get signed up for the nation, for the membership there. We'd love to see you there. All right. And I'll also mention along with that, that we are pre-selling now tickets to the 2022 Guardian Conference, which Guardian Nation members get a significant discount. So take advantage of that. Speaking of which, Brian, I had you on my radar, bro. And I was like, I want to get Brian at the conference. And then I checked your schedule. And you're already booked. And I was like, go figure, go figure. So I'm going to tell you though, September 16th to the 18th, I believe, are the dates of the Guardian Conference. If for some reason the course you have scheduled that weekend falls through and you want to get in on the Guardian Conference, I'd love to have you. You have a standing invitation, brother. I'd be honored. I'd love to do that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, my wife has scheduled me to work quite a bit next year. So, and fortunately at the same time, <laughs> fortunately and unfortunately, it's a yeah. good problem to have. It is. It is. <laughs> Right on, brother. So, um, yeah, first of all, I want to make sure we, we do a quick just intro, you know, kind of bio sort of uh, uh, level introduction with you to remind viewers, those or listeners, those that are not quite familiar with you, or maybe they've just forgotten. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit about your background. Obviously, you've, you've been teaching for a long time, for mm-hmm. decades, in fact, mm-hmm. um, not always in firearms, mm-hmm. but you have a lot of experience being a coach, being a teacher of students and and you've learned a lot through that process but now you're a top tier national level uh uh, firearms instructor and so i mean tell us kind of where it all began and and how you got to where you are today yeah this this course has been 40 years of the making is my going joke uh it's you know i started teaching i had a love and a passion for it but i was involved in martial arts at the time that's where i started uh, I took my first martial arts class in 1978, so it dates me quite a bit. Uh, I started teaching by 82, and I had taught full-time as a private instructor from that point on until just recently. Last year, we shut our gym down with COVID, and I moved to, to full-time firearms instructor because uh, it, was, it was the right direction for me to move to. Uh, I had a brief stint in law enforcement, and uh, I've learned a tremendous amount through my different 
not only teaching people, but different jobs that I've had to hold because really, you know, teaching martial arts, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's not the best paying job in the world. So we usually had two, two jobs going on at the same time. And my passion has always been to coach and help other people. Um, which is a different focus than to be the world's best competitor. Uh, I was a pretty good fighter and I got to a pretty high level, but I also not only taught a lot of people, but I developed coaches and programs. And in the Atlanta area alone, I probably can point to 30 or 40 people that are running full-time schools directly from uh, being in my program as a coach. And when I looked around in the firearms industry, I thought, we have a lot of curriculum that is based on technical aspects of shooting, but we don't have a lot of coaching. And, uh, I, I think right now we're at the, the, the golden age of information, uh, with podcast, uh, where you guys can get involved and learn stuff that you've never been able to learn before, but it's also very hard to implement a lot of information. It's hard to know what is good and how it affects you and how, how you can use it to the best of your ability. So, uh, it's a 40 year process of teaching different things. Uh, I've always loved shooting. Uh, it's always been a passion of mine. I did precision rifle. I teach carbine classes. I teach pistol. I teach integrated fighting programs uh, like the force readiness program. But uh, my real passion is I just love to teach. And I really get a, a kick out of, we always say, you know, we like to see somebody get the moment. But what I truly love doing is exploring. And I was promised when I was a kid that I would go into space. That's what science fiction promised me. Mm -hmm. Well, that never happened. So <laughs> What's left to explore? We know most of the world, but the human being, we're just starting to realize how the mind works. We're actually got diagnostic tools to look what it looks like when we make decisions, how we perform at the highest level. And we're on the cutting edge of human performance right now. And it's very exciting to be involved in the firearms community because uh, it's a little bit behind where some other sports are right now. And we're just starting to emerge out of the what I like to call personality over principle phase of development of skills. So that's uh, it's hard to introduce yourself, but uh, you, mm -hmm. this is what I've been doing. This is what I love. And uh, I'm very excited to share this with people and hopefully give them some shortcuts so they don't have to spend 40 years trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'll tell you that that is what you just said right there is one of the primary motivations for me being an instructor is and wanting to sh like, it's really about wanting to share uh, what I've learned, what I've discovered, what I've gone through in my own personal journey uh, of, of seeking and learning and developing and wanting to shortcut other people's journey mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. like I have struggled and struggled and struggled at times. And it's like, ah, you know, you finally kind of get to where you, you get over some humps or you figure some things out mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, who can I help not mm -hmm. walk that 40 year, you know, whatever through the desert of like trying to figure stuff out sometimes. I'll tell you like mm -hmm. that, that is, that's a, that's a huge motivating factor for me and wanting to teach others. Um, I also want to just say, Brian, don't give up on your dream of going to space, my man. <laughs> no. <laughs> it can still happen. <laughs> I'm open, man. <laughs> Maybe Elon Musk will adopt me and I could get, get a ride at least. <laughs> it's certainly a lot more accessible than it ever was two yeah. decades, three decades ago. Yep. So, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy how the world just can change so fast. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you uh, real quick. Um, you're, you're real big on using the term coaching 
mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe some other teaching or instructor type related terms. And I kind of wanted to just hear you, and I think for the benefit of our, of our listeners, uh, hear your your definition of coaching and, and why uh, the idea of coaching, like what it is and why it's important. Okay. And I think that's a good question. Um, you know, we get caught up in words and words matter. And uh, somebody said this, I, I wish I could remember where the quote came from, but language is a virus. It infects us with ideas and concepts. So I'm very careful in the words I choose because I want to paint a picture for the person I'm talking to. I don't want to just say things. I want it to be very deliberate as my, my coaching is. But the thing that I believe that coaching is truly about is advocacy. Um, when you have a good coach, they become your partner. And they advocate for your success. Um, I think movies have kind of ruined what people think real coaching is. If you've ever performed at a high athletic level and you have a good coach, they are somebody who looks inside you, helps you overcome fears, helps you become successful, and sees you for who you really are so that you have another set of eyes, another set of, another observer. As shooters, we know it's much more important to be the observer than the critic. And it's the same thing in coaching. We truly need to observe the other person and see what actually is hidden from us. Because as performers, you can't see yourself clearly 100% of the time. Even when you watch video, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And it just takes a moment of somebody who is insightful and who is attentive, who has mastered the ability to put themselves in your place and allow themselves to kind of think about what you're feeling, how you're seeing, how you're performing, and has watched this pattern in other people so they can recognize it very quickly. And uh, oftentimes people think of as an instructor as somebody who merely provides instruction and they give you the information and it's up for you to fix it. But if you have this mentor advocacy relationship, and I know you have a pretty good one with a pretty good shooter uh, that you've talked about in class, it mm-hmm. matters because you can talk about concepts. You talk about what you're feeling at the moment that you're executing. You can ask crazy questions. Uh, the other person will ask you what you're seeing and feeling and bring you mindfully to what you're doing, which allows you to make progress because the essential key is immediate feedback and progress. If you don't get immediate feedback and you're not focused uh, and you can't have enough of a skill challenge, uh, the the science says about 4% over our skill our level of competency is where we need to be challenged at. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, but focus, immediate feedback, and just enough challenge is what a good coach can provide for you. And they can watch and see how you perform and see that the triad, the coaching triad is technical, psychological, and physiological. How does your body work? How does your mind work? And do you have the competency skills to perform this is why I call it coaching. And uh, I think it's a great honorific to be a coach because I'm purely involved in your progress. Yeah. And that's, that's my, that's my product is another person's progress. My legacy is helping somebody get better and essentially get better than me. If I can, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not competing against them. We're working together and uh, that's a unique thing. It's a great, great privilege to do that. And I'm very excited to share this idea with people um, to get them thinking about this. And I got to tell you, I know some of you are just here for defensive shooting. You are your own coach. You always will be. And the way that you talk and interact and diagnose yourself is tremendously important because you can spend years of wasted time. Trust a guy who started martial arts in the (laughs) seventies 
I wasted a lot of time on things, you know, mm-hmm. and I had to open up my mind and see what's really there and what really needs to be done. And it's, it's hard for human beings to face those dark spaces sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you've made a lot of progress in the last year and it probably came from a different direction than you expected it to, it to come from, you know, uh, oftentimes for people, it's either letting go or it is uh, gaining enough processing to trust themselves. And that's where we see the real progress is made because human beings are pretty good at what we do. And uh, if we can cue into that as soon as we can, a uh, coach can help shortcut that. The Olympic Center said it's about a 25% difference between a coached and an uncoached person. And God, I would take a 25% bump in anything, you know, mm-hmm. salary, interest, better shooting scores, uh, time, 25% is a huge difference. So that's my idea on coaching, why it's important for people. Uh, that's a great statistic, even just to, to pull out and throw out there mm-hmm. like that. Because, I mean, it really, I think, uh, just immediately shows the importance of, mm-hmm. of having a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you, for me, I, and I think this is one of the challenges with something like shooting, is uh, it's it's such a – shooting is an interesting uh, discipline because, like, you don't see a lot of uh, people with respect to martial arts that just, like, well, I guess I'm just going to go out in the backyard today and uh, I'm going to do some you know, kicks and punches and stuff, you know, like I'm going to practice my martial arts. But, you know, meanwhile, you have this uh, really the first American pastime of shooting, which mm-hmm. is embodied in our Constitution as a as a God given right. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, like anybody in their in their neighbor and their well, almost their dog, you know, can, uh, you know, grab a gun, go out in the backyard where appropriate or to the shooting <laughs> range and, and just shoot. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of come up in this, in this, uh, sort of mindset where it's like, ah, oh, shooting, like, that's just the thing we do. Like, that's the great American pastime. Uh, like what's this like going and te- taking classes and, and mm-hmm. having a coach stuff. Like, I don't need that to, you know, like, to enjoy shooting. And that's certainly true. Like to enjoy it, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to, uh, get coached at it or, or get particularly, you know, really awesome at it, but it's just a, it's an interesting discipline because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just the way you know it's 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 enjoyed by so many people, um, and a vast majority of those people that enjoy shooting don't always get out and get good quality training. And so for me, man, for years, like that was like hearing you say twenty five percent difference between the mm-hmm. coach and the coach. It's like, well, yeah, duh, because mm-hmm. when I finally <laughs> finally like started taking that seriously. Oh wow! Wow, you get you just you, you get a lot better, a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> um. So, again, you're really big on the the idea of of being deliberate in a lot of the things we do. You talked mm-hmm. about the you know being deliberate in your language. Um. The the title for your program is deliberate coaching. Uh. So. What is deliberate? Like, what? And why is that an important aspect? Like, why do we append deliberate to the front of that word coaching we just discussed? Well, in the emergent neuroscience of the mind, uh, one of the things that was really stressed was deliberate practice. Uh, A lot of us have heard that. 
what does deliberate practice means? Well, it means that we measure what we do. Uh, we have to have some hardcore measurable data. We need to have it from a lot of different people so that we have at least a baseline of what's performable for human people, uh, human performance standards. The other side of that is that we also we're evolving so quickly right now as shooting. Um, let's take the build drill. You know, five years ago, a two second build drill was pretty good. It's yeah. very common now. It's very common. And we're seeing, you know, build drills from 180s, 170s from concealment, which was thought nigh impossible. And what we see in sports a lot of times, um, I'm going to use this analogy because it's probably the best for this question, is Jesse Owens won a lot of gold level uh, uh, medals in the Olympics. Now, Usain Bolt, his scores are a lot better than Jesse Owens. So people look at that and they say, well, human beings got better. But some very creative engineers looked at some things that were different between the two races. And there were three things that were significantly different between Jesse Owens' time and Usain Bolt's. One was shoes, much mm -hmm. better shoes, which allow you to run faster. All right. Any of you that play basketball and chucks, they're really cool, but they're not real supportive. They let you turn your ankles. So better shoes have come a long way. The other mm -hmm. thing is the track surface changed tremendously. Uh, Owens was running on ash. Now we have these synthetic track surfaces that allow us to run quicker. And the final thing was he didn't start out of blocks. He had to dig holes. Usain started out of blocks. Once you factor in the differences between those performance metrics, instead of beating Jesse Owens by 14 steps overall, he beats him by two steps. Because those are coaching and technological advances that are deliberate. We need better equipment. We need better methodology. We need better ways to measure what we're doing. And then, of course, we need a practice that allows us to move forward quickly. And the problem with a lack of deliberateness is we do what we like and we avoid what we don't like. And therefore, we get really good at parts of things, but the holes become really difficult. And in martial arts, the feedback is, well, if you're, if you're in a living martial art, you either spar or roll with somebody and then you get destroyed and you're like, well, that didn't work at all. So mm -hmm. now I've got the immediate feedback, but shooting doesn't have that. And I know you stress this. I didn't, I haven't seen uh, your complete course, but I got to sample it at primary and secondary. You stress a lot of being able to see at a high level and calling your shots because that's immediate. And therefore I'm not looking to a target. I'm not looking to a validation. I immediately get feedback and we use the greatest sensory apparatus that exists in the universe right now, which is our mind. And that's why deliberate is very important because I should always be measuring that. The only problem for human beings is we're emotional by nature. Not all of us, but a lot of us have a lot of emotion and uh, we tend to talk to ourselves poorly. So whenever we criticize ourselves, we enter a fight or flight zone because we start yelling and screaming at ourselves inside and telling us how bad we are. And the amygdala then takes that and overlays another memory on top of it, extra sensory information, because that part of the brain was built to keep us alive. So if we saw Bill get eaten by a bear, it would be a good idea to avoid bears. But during shooting, if you're doing that, what you're doing is you're overlaying your mistakes so that they're easily repeatable. And if we can teach people to correct themselves without emotion, all right, this is what I did wrong. Now I will change it immediately. Not only does the action become possible, it becomes more probable over time. And deliberate practice will yield probability. I think it's very interesting that USPSA uses percentages because they mirror closely what coaches already know. 
that being able to do 95% or 85% or 75% of something. And that means if I was 95%, if I was a grandmaster, I still make five mistakes every hundred shots. That's what a percentage means. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. Mm. Now, as people have gotten better, those percentages have had to climb because it's a living art now. We're getting the immediate feedback. It's being deliberate. And therefore, if you look at a grandmaster today, it's much different than a grandmaster of old. Much like martial arts was, we had to change, we had to evolve. If you look at a UFC fighter of today and you look at one of the great old guys, and I'm not, you know, I'm an older guy. I, I, I have master level instructor ranks. We were not as good because we did not know how to practice. We made tremendous mistakes and there are mistakes that seem really things that you should be doing. Like we sparred too much. So it's like running, you know, if you're, if you're a USPSA shooter, if you constantly run a stage over and over, that's really not the right way to train. You know, what do you do? You, you make those mistakes constantly over and over and you look for, for a problem. But if you deliberately practice, we're going to look at the parts of it. We're going to measure each part. We're going to see where time can be made up or where time's being lost. We're going to see what your decisional process is to it. Is there a technical flaw in it? And then deliberately, we will practice the parts that need to be improved. We'll combine them back together in a combination. And then we're going to learn how to manage stress in performance mode so that we become the best shooter possible. And the greatest thing about picking up a hobby or sport or skill like this is, is you learn to master the one thing that matters the most in the world, and that's you. Because you're going to face your small trials and errors in a very small arena that allows you to look and see yourself and be mirrored. And listen, I'm not very good at this, but I'm pretty good at that. And learn to build your self-image so you become a better shooter. So the idea of deliberateness is incredibly important. It has to have purpose. It has to have passion. It has to be autonomous. And that means you want to do it. And it has to be self, always self-directed in, in terms of it. And then we will seek mastery. And I think every human being should at least get really good at one thing in their life. And they probably already have. And once you've done that, you can add it to other things. So we're using the short cuts of the mind to get better at what we do. And I think that's the deliberate part of this, if that all makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. Well, dude, that, that's a fantastic explanation. Uh, there, there's a lot to unpack there. And uh, I, I would encourage those of you listening to this that, Boy, if you didn't catch that at all, I'd go back and re-listen to the whole sections of that. But it, it, you know, the basis of this is, uh, you know, hopefully we're here, and hopefully you're listening to this podcast because, in some way, you want to be a better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you want to get better at whatever it is that, that is, you know, top priority in your life. And the way we do that so far, we've established in this podcast is we, we've got two two really good solutions number one find and have a coach or multiple mm-hmm. coaches and two be deliberate and mm-hmm. be deliberate in your practice and everything you do and and measure what you do and record it and hold yourself to standards uh that I, th- that's phenomenal like how many shooters brian you know in a general sense like actually number one have a coach and number two are deliberately practicing mm-hmm. It's not a very big number, you know. So, you know, like people always want to like find these, uh, you know, like what's the, what's the secret sauce, you know, like mm-hmm. like you know, Riley, how do I get as good as you or Brian or mm-hmm. or or Jedi or you know Rob Latham, whatever? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, on some level, it's just doing the work in a productive manner, and then you also 
had somewhere along the way feedback loops either from coaches or also from yourself that just kept informing that process and refining it and refining mm-hmm. it and refining it. Like it just, it takes work. And like the vast majority of people aren't, aren't even willing to put in the work. You know, one thing that a coach offers you too, that most people don't see is if somebody does a good job coaching, they will get an immediate success out of you. Mm. They will make an improvement and you will make an improvement. It's a, it's a pair, it's a team improvement. But if a person is good at diagnostic skills, he will look at you and say, I want you to do this one thing. And he'll get you to trust in that and talk you through it. And you'll have an immediate correction. And then you'll see an improvement. Now, it may not last forever, but in that moment, you realize, all right, I can be resilient and I can improve. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole group of people out there. We talk about the people who don't practice enough. Well, there's a whole group of people that practice too much. They're mm-hmm. high on the conscientious scale. They're practicing really hard and they're applying a lot of work to it, but they're overtraining or training in the wrong direction. So therefore they burn themselves out. And we don't see them anymore, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that happened to fighters a lot. And, um, you know, I was training a guy today and, uh, you know, I divide ch- shooters into two categories. They're either impatient or indecisive. So for those of you who don't know language, what I'm saying is either you're a speed shooter or you're an accuracy first shooter. Now we know you can't choose. There's never been a choice. I don't know where that I, I, I laugh about it. Cause I can only imagine in martial arts. If you heard a boxing instructor say to you, Hey, slow down and get your hits in. You would laugh. You, you know, you'd be like, that doesn't work. <laughs> right. So we got these two mindsets, but, uh, and I think you and I are probably on the opposite ends of that, that spectrum. I watched you shoot. You're yep. very fast. So you tend to be impatient. The clock's always running in your head. Yep. You know, and your physical abilities allow you to accelerate very quickly. Mine's the other one. There's never enough information. I need to gather more and the clock doesn't matter. So what would a coach do with us right away? They're going to give you a modicum of control, not slow you down, not speed you up. And that control is going to come through visual processing and trusting in your intuitive ability to do what you're doing and know that it's right. For me, the instructor is going to relieve me of the burden of control. I have too much structure. I have too much control and I simply won't let go. Now, oftentimes that's talked about as we're tactical shooters are unwilling to miss. And that's not really the whole process of it. We're unwilling to relinquish control because, you know, if I was in law enforcement or I'm using it for personal protection, simply don't feel like I can miss, but that actual structural control may lead me to the very problem I don't want to have. And if an instructor can say, Hey, listen, if you'll relax and perform, you'll be much better than if you bear down in structure. And the same thing for you. If you will let the clock go away and get out of that part of your head and assert your processing power to see that if your body can already move at this speed, your brain is commanding that, then you have control of that. And that's that's a real hard thing for people to get around. And that's where we waste tremendous amount of time in improvement. And I don't care what you do. It doesn't matter whether it's shooting, it's martial arts, you play the guitar. The same process because there's always the one constant, which is a human being. Mm. Mm. Wow, a lot of truth just in uh, what you said there too. Uh, that that is a. Uh, I'm going to explore that that line of thought a little bit more uh, myself. You know, not necessarily here in this, this podcast, but just the idea of of being in control. You know, and letting go, and versus, mm-hmm. you know the opposite of that. So that, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's really, really insightful. Um, I was actually thinking just how, 
like, so something I've been experimenting with a lot uh, recently for myself is just continuing to try to let go of tension uh, in my body mm-hmm. and also mentally uh, because the desire to go fast for me <laughs> creates tension. Mm-hmm. And I know that, and I figured out a lot of that, but, but now it's getting a lot more nuanced, mm-hmm. you know, as, as I've uh, advanced more and more, it's like, I get to where I'm like, ah, I, I don't have any tension. I'm good. You know? And then all of a sudden there'll be these, uh, these aha moments where it's like, Oh, I thought I was not tense. I thought I was, I, I, I try to be careful using the word relaxed. Um, there's a, there's a place and, and there's, there's a context where it's appropriate to be relaxed. Uh, but, but you got to understand exactly what that means at times and not confuse it for things like, well, you know, for instance, make the mistake of thinking, well, relaxed means I'm not going to be aggressive, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing, you know? Well, so, let me offer you a term. I can okay. offer you a term yeah. from coaching from, from sports science. So uh, relaxation means the absence of tension, Yep. you know, and tension means that, we work on frequency, so we're engaging and constantly sending a signal to the muscle, so therefore it's tense. Uh, there are 625 muscles in the body. They're impaired opposites of each other, so that means they're balanced. One, when it, it contracts, makes the elbow bend. When the other one contracts, it makes it extend. If we want balance between the two, the term is called tone. So when an athlete is in proper tone, he is able to perform at the highest level because he has balanced the paired opposites of each other. So there's not excessive tension in one muscle group over the other. So when most people say they're too tense, uh, you know, it was like this thing, you know, when we had the elbows out, mm-hmm. uh, that is and no offense to anybody, but that's personality driven. There's no athletics in the world that do this. <laughs> we just, it just doesn't work. We know that those are small muscles. You're on the road to tendonitis and then the body informs you that you're doing something wrong by pain. But mm-hmm. since we're such hardcore people, we just kind of ignore the pain until the tendon gets holes in it and it eventually detaches and you have to have surgery. So that's too much tension. Now, too much relaxation is just like what you said. The body's utterly relaxed, which also feeds into the mind where it's not ready to go. So if we can yep. hold ourselves in between those balanced opposites, which is all sports, I need to be toned up, ready to go and allow myself to perform at the level. And that's not something that needs to be consciously controlled, but it needs to be observed, Mm -hmm. you know? And I know you're a big fan of this too, because I heard you speak on it, but the observer is the part of the mind that we need to engage. And most instructors or shooters think that they're not using their whole brain, but we know from MRIs, you're using a hundred percent. And actually, if you want to be a good shooter, you need to turn about 90% of it off. So the frontal cortex needs to be eliminated from shooting because it critiques things, it tells time, and it keeps you separate from what you're doing. So when you get into that flow state and you know you've done it, where you run a drill and you're like, that's not that fast. You look at the timer, you're like, good Lord, (laughs) it didn't feel fast. Therefore, Mm -hmm. our feeling of tension or flow or time always interferes with the actual outcome. So we got to immediately feed back the success that that was too much tension. That was too little tension. It's always going to be, you know, we kind of swing back and forth until we get into it. And then if we get outcome focus, which I know happens to matches, you know, and you're so worried about pushing as soon as you rush, try or hurry or push, then you create tension again because the desire is outside of you instead of just allowing your body to modulate this. So I use the word tone a lot 
And I look for that in people where there's not excess or absence of what they need. Yeah. Guys, this is why we bring Brian on. And this is why I, I like Brian and I like talking to Brian because, uh, man, you just, you are a true wordsmith, sir. You are, and, and I know that, like, you're just practicing what you preach, which is words matter, words mean things, and uh, you're very deliberate in your delivery of those words. So that's why we got you on. So, speaking, continue Thank you. on with uh, deliberate coaching. Uh, you know, you have here listed three. Additional words. I'm not sure quite how to categorize these necessarily. <laughs> uh, I, I'll let you speak to that. But you, you have your listed diagnostic, predictive, adaptive. Yeah, you, I sound. You know, it sounds like we need to have like the 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 dude mm-hmm. that always you know does the uh, the movie previews, like reading the title of your course. The <laughs> brick coaching, diagnostic, predictive. Mm-hmm adaptive you know like uh it's, i mean it's, it's it's very intriguing but yeah. uh, but let's break this down a little bit we've we've touched a little bit on the diagnostic aspect here mm-hmm. um but let's break that down a little bit and why that's so key and I, I, again there's there's been i i think some segues from what we were talking mm-hmm. about with deliberateness into the diagnostic piece um but you know, looking at it from the, the perspective of of your instructor certification program here uh what what are what are the diagnostic skills we need to be familiar with and and and, and how do we not only from a third person observer coaching point of view but also i think with ourselves like what kind of mm-hmm. uh insights do you have with regards to diagnostic so uh, the idea of predictive diagnostic and a- adaptive is is important because if i look at somebody and i look at their posture i look at their build I look at what kind of gear and where they carry it at. I watch them talk. I watch them interact with other people. I look for eye contact and I see how quickly or how slowly they gather information or move on to the next thing. I'm going to have a very strong prediction of what I'm going to see. So let's Mm -hmm. put that back to shooting. When I draw the gun, three things can happen if I've decided to shoot. When it comes out, everything's correct. Therefore, I'm going to shoot. If it's not correct, And this is an intermediate or advanced skill. I'm going to correct the shoot and then I'll do it. I'll correct the sights. I'll correct the index. And we know that that only costs us about 0.2, 0.15 to correct as opposed to looking and calling a shot afterwards, which is much lower or something's changed and I got to completely change the assessment. So in diagnostic skills, when I meet somebody, I start watching how they move. I start watching how their body is. I look at their hands And I really start paying attention to them because I'm the observer. And then in my mind, I usually have a pretty good idea of what shooting problems they already have. Um, You know, when we talked last year, I talked about your your eye contact. You're a very visually driven person. And your class was very visually driven too, because that is, you're not just one. You listen well, you talk well, but the vision really guides it. And in shooting, it's kind of the essential thing. And I said, if I were to coach you, I would do this. I would cue my words to vision. I would cue to what I'm seeing and how it works so that I could communicate with you quickly. So that predictive part allows me to get to the diagnostic. Now, when I watch somebody, um, you know, what's one of the most common problems that we see with shooting that everybody, you know, we see a lot of people do, maybe their grip is incorrect, but I don't know until I see them. And then I need to observe them a couple of times to make sure that I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Uh, Today, I had a very good shooter 
reminds me a lot of you. He's a really, I mean, he's, he's got phenomenal trigger speed. He's got phenomenal speed and he was shooting, but the gun would hang up for a second and then come back down. Now that's an unusual problem. And mm-hmm. I watched and I, you know, it could have been a structural problem, but I also, I know he's just changed from Glock to a 2011 and he has a little difference with grip. So he was actually, the gun was returning quicker than he liked it to. Mm. So he was creating a stop so he could manage it better. Mm. So that became the diagnostic skill. And once I, I videoed it for him, we talked about it. Then I showed him how it worked. And then he did it. And I said, now just let the gun return as quickly as it wants to. It cured the problem. That's where diagnostic ability really works. But those are not cues that we hear in co- in classes. You know, it could have been, hey, listen, tighten up your grip or quit slapping the trigger or you're not building structure. But what we had to really look at is where did the decision come from to hang the gun up in the air? Hmm. And why was he be rewarding himself for doing that? And how can we cure it in the quickest way? And for him, he's visually driven. So I just got him to watch the dot. And I said, I want you to see the dot come down as quickly as possible. I didn't really care whether the dot came down quick or not. I just wanted him to pay attention. And Hmm. then once he paid attention, his body automatically corrected it. And the adaptation was for me, I've seen a new problem. I'm not really sure how to solve this one. So let's try something. And if it doesn't solve it in the first, second, or third try, I'm going to immediately pivot to a new direction instead of just keep telling him, if you do this for long enough, it'll work out. Because then we get back to the nonsense of doing something over and over and it'll correct itself eventually. It does work eventually, but it's such a hard way to do things, you know, and having somebody who understands how the body works, how the mind works, and what the technical capabilities of shooting are, and then has watched this pattern over and over has recognition prime decision-making skills, which Gary Klein is the one that coined that. I recommend all of you to read that. It's uh, Sources of Power. It's a great book, but it talks about how our mind doesn't do in a comparative analysis. It makes one decision right away, and it goes with good enough. So for coaches, what we're looking for in diagnostics is what gets us to good enough. What gets us to good enough? And what will tell you if it's good enough is it's always the target. So does the target allow you to shoot at that speed. I don't care if it's in the center of the center. Did you do what was asked of you in the time allotted? So we want accuracy, precision. We want a speed and efficiency and then be able to perform it. And then sometimes we see, I'm, I know you've seen this in class, like somebody shoots pretty well in practice. And as soon as you put them on the clock or under pressure, they go to pieces and they actually reaffirm that, you know, you'll ask them if they're ready and they'll go, I guess so, <laughs> which means they're not, Yep. you know, and the best thing a coach can do diagnostically is to stop them right there not in a match, but in practice, and ask what would get you ready sooner? How can I get you ready that you're going to greet this go signal as the thing that you came here for? Because I don't know about you, but I hate standing around. I hate waiting for things. I want to shoot the gun. I want to get to the process of that. And that's what we have to instill in our clients. So these diagnostic skills are very wide ranging and I, I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but there's a generic set of of corrections that are offered that may not be correct, you know, like slapping the trigger. I don't see that as a problem. Uh, You know, we've talked about this. You've talked about it in class. Uh, That is usually not the problem. You know, anticipation, Scott talks about that. That's what it is. We all got our thing that we just, you know, we can't stand. And this becomes the easiest way for somebody to tell you how to fix it. And then if you don't fix it, it's your fault. And so, therefore, the coach is absolving themselves of the responsibility of predicting mm-hmm. what's about to happen, diagnosing it, and adapting to it, and helping you get over it. 
And some problems are very, very quick to fix, and some are going to take more time. But that's the essence of being those three words. And that's why I picked them for that, because I want people to start all the things that they preach in the self-defense community of observing pre-assault indicators. Why aren't you observing your clients the same way? What is their arousal level? Psychological mm-hmm. term for how excited you are or how underexcited you are. Because some people disassociate. They come to the line. They're not there. They just check out. And then they go on autopilot, hope it all works out. And some people are too excited. So as a coach, I should be prepared to see these things. And I know you've experienced this as a coach. And I know you've had somebody do it to you where they were ahead of you. We preach getting ahead of the shooting cycle. So why don't we get ahead of the coaching cycle and be prepared and wait there. And if we see what we thought we saw, we can correct it. If it's something different, we can adapt to it and then make the diagnosis to it. And it's incredible how easy it is to get human beings to do the right thing if you simply can communicate effectively what needs to be done. Well, this is uh, this is a level of it. Uh, this is what forty years of coaching experience uh, <laughs> brings to a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, like. This is okay. I think I said this about Chris Seipert's uh, episode. I had him on last week. I was like, this is one of those I'm going to go back and, and listen to again and maybe again. And, and Brian, man, uh, geez, uh, Chris is brilliant too, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. he's a very intelligent individual and uh, an absolute joy to speak with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote down sources of power, uh, Gary. Club. Yeah. All right. Yep. Go look that up. Got to read that. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you recommend it. And, so and it's on audible. So if you can't read, oh. just get audible. You can do it in the background. It works great. Awesome. Uh, even better. Cause that, that yeah. uh, means my next uh, time on the road or yep. traveling, whatever I can, mm-hmm. I can just plug that in. So uh, there's something worthwhile writing down folks. So I hope you'll do that as well. Um, all right. So dude, there's uh, as you were kind of <laughs> explaining all that and walking us through that, um, I want to pick at you a little bit more about you mentioned some specific characteristics and areas that you pay attention to a student in. Uh, could you break that down a little bit? Kind of go to the next level on with that for us a little bit. Cause um, there was some stuff there. I was like, I think I probably pick up on those things more intuitively mm-hmm. but it's always better i think especially as a coach to be like to be more de- deliberate about yep like let's pay attention to this mm-hmm. this this and this to help better ascertain who this individual is i'm working with and thereby predictively be able to help them better mm-hmm. so uh, could you unpackage some of that a little bit more about what are some of the specific whether it's body language uh um uh, you know, the words that the student uses or what, whatever it is, those, those areas that you mentioned, maybe you could re- rehash that for us a little bit. I thought that was really, really fascinating. So there's three things a coach really needs to be good at. Uh, one, he needs to be a good presenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not a good presenter, you're going to lose your message. You need to be technically competent. You may not be the best shooter, but you need to be good. You know, you need to be fairly high level. It doesn't mean you have to be a national champion, but you should be very good because your passion leads you to that. And that's why you did this anyway. But the final one is EQ. You need to be good with people. You need to create connections. 
And one thing that I've noticed this year, I got to train with a lot of people is some people don't connect with their students at all. Uh, they put a show on, you take their class, you get the show, and then that's it. They never see or talk to you or even recognize you or even know if you were in the class because there's no real connection. When I teach somebody, and I'm going to tell you, for you guys that aren't going to be teachers, you can do this for yourself. You should videotape yourself in the process of something so you can watch for these cues because they work for everybody. But I watch for somebody to get out of the car coming to my class if I can uh, because I will see them in a moment that's unguarded. I'll see how they get their equipment out. I'll see how they check things. You know, you're going to see everybody check to see if, especially in the tactical community, if they have a gun on. So we have a pre-assault indicator. We see how it is. I can see whether they look around the parking lot. Um, and then how they approach me is really important. Uh, you know, you were good at greeting people and talking to people and you make very direct eye contact. But if you get somebody who's more word driven, they're not going to look you in the eye. They're going to do this a lot. And it feels disrespectful to the looker, but it, what it means is they're savoring and turning over your words. So as soon as I see that, I know that when I go to coach somebody, I need to put that in the in their area. When I talk to them, I'm going to be visually descriptive in my words, but also I'm really going to make sure that I really try to resonate with them. Body posture is probably the key athletic developer. You know, if you have poor posture, it's going to show up everywhere in your shooting. And most of us sit so much that our shoulders are rolled forward, our heads forward. And if I tell you, hey, don't crouch over during shooting, that's not going to change that. What I have to do is teach you to build a base up so that you have postural stability. I'm not a big fan of the word stance because uh, you know this very well. There is no such thing, especially when you're going and moving. Yeah. But there is postural stability, and that's what allows us to exercise it. Uh, I'm going to watch how they make a decision, which is the hardest thing in the world for people. But the impatient people are going to get antsy pretty quick and want to move on, you know, and then you feel that as a coach as, as pressure. But what it really means is they're ready to go do. And then the people that are hesitant are always going to ask for more information. They're going to seek more information from you. So I'm going to handle both groups very differently. I'm going to get the other one in that wants to go into measuring themselves a little bit and be a little more reflective so they can feel those pressures so they can manage it. And then a person that's indecisive and waiting, I'm going to get them involved in the doing as soon as possible so that I can shut that part of their mind down and that they get involved in the process of doing it. And, 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 you know, it's funny in the tactical community, we talk about uh, managing unknown contacts and that that's Craig Douglas's term. Yep. And I took his class this year. He's an exceptionally good instructor. It's one of the few that I met has those three categories, but I call it managing unknown clients mm. because I'm going to be working with you. The same thing that I would do on the street in my observational skills should be turned on the person I'm about to work with. And then gear selection tells you a tremendous amount of a person, who they are and how they make decisions. Uh, and then their comfort level, how they interact with other people is incredibly important. Uh, some people will be very introverted in a way. Uh, they'll sit towards the back of the class if, if there's a seated area. Uh, some people are very extroverted, but they also may seek to control your class from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we say there's no dumb questions, but there is controlling, manipulating, and showing how much you know questions. 
And those are things the instructor has to get control of because he'll lose structure of the class very quickly. So being able to deflect or defer those questions and get everybody into a process of learning as soon as possible is what the goal of. And if I tell shooters they must observe themselves shooting, I must observe the shooter. And that's the key thing. And it's funny if um, you said on an intuitive level, there's the explicit and the implicit system, which is from thinking fast and slow. Uh, or we call it, you know, we're logic and intuition. Intuition is good at recognizing patterns. And the advantage of knowing this in your coaching is when you recognize the pattern, you can trust it, which I got to imagine in your shooting was probably the hard part. When you got really fast, you couldn't trust it, mm-hmm. you know, because you'd end up miking sometimes or it would be too much. And as you grew in trust of yourself, then you recognize that pattern. And that's particularly why people that are more geared towards speeds are easier to teach because all we have to do is teach a bit of trust instead of a relinquishment of control. But this whole observational pattern is incredibly useful. And then let's think about the other side, uh, you know, influencing friends, making friends. What's the best thing you can do with another person is be interested in them. That's your job. You're here to teach. And if you're teaching yourself, you should be really interested in what you're seeing. All right. And then ask questions to get an inter- and get some information out of them. I always ask everybody, hey, what do you do? What are you good at? Yeah. You know, because then I can make a comparison between the two. If you were a good athlete, God, you're going to be easy to teach because you're already done sports. So I don't have to start from the basic. If you're a musician, you already know all this stuff, you know, and I know you're a musician, so I'm just going to hit all your, your cues. <laughs> but that's what I did when I met you yep. is I found out as much information and then I record it because it's the most important thing in the world because those things are going to give me a key to real progress with you. And what now we're connected. If I'm going to say I need to be connected to you, I better be really interested in you because human beings are incredibly interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. and that connection to them is easy. You don't have to fake it. You just have to say, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? Where did she learn this? How does this work? What are they thinking? Uh, What background do they have? How can we string these things, not only vertically, but sideways, you know, Hey, listen, you play music and this is very similar. Every musician turns into a pretty good shooter because musicians know what you got to practice Practice, (laughs) and you got to practice in a structured manner. You just don't play songs. You know, you play scales and you do repetitive stuff and you know that there's, there's really varying degrees of success in music. You know, you could be a pretty good musician for most people, but then you get in a room and you're like, wow, those guys are really incredible. So they're easier to teach because their expectations are already well managed. So as a shooter, it's easy to put that together. Same thing with a martial artist. You know, we all we all started as a white belt. We're not very good at the beginning, and you get crushed a lot. And if you get a good coach, he teaches you how to be resilient. Get over that. You get better. So that's my idea in that area, and I hope I answered the question. I get a little mm. long-winded with it, but it's a good question, and it always shocks me when people are not interested in their clients. Mm. I'm like, why are you teaching? Is it just about your show? which is nothing wrong with that. Some people want to go to the show. It's great. You know, this Mm -hmm. guy did a lot of things. He's really cool. Um, And being successful as a competitor or being successful as a tier one operator doesn't mean you're a good teacher. You know, those, those things don't go together, but it does mean that some of people have both, you know, like you mentioned, Rob Latham, he's done both very well, which is rare. Mm -hmm. But he also had a great partner at the beginning of his, 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 training, which was Brian Enos, which, you know, I feel like we're kind of on the same thing. Yep. You know, I'm the Zen warrior. You're the logic warrior. 
And what a great conversation you and I should have. So I'm always seeking out somebody incredibly different than I am mm. so that I can talk to them. And the scientific method is we always should be falsifying our hypothesis. People mm. forget that. Mm. So if you can falsify it, and I, I'm going to give you a little credit now. I know it's your show. It's awesome. But you're a good you're a good coach, and you taught me two things in what did we have three and a half hours, four hours of primary yeah. and secondary, and one was contradicted to everything I'd ever done in my life, which was your drill with putting the finger to the front of the trigger guard and mm-hmm. slamming through it. Now I'd heard that before, but the ground was fertile. You <laughs> said it right, and then you made it in a way that I wanted to try it, and suddenly I went from, I mean, my splits have always been point two. I'm like a friggin' human metronome, which is the control issue. I come back to the range and suddenly 16s are showing up. Because mm. you know what I convinced myself of? That didn't matter. Mm. Something I was doing didn't matter. And the other thing that you convinced me of is the wider I made my vision, the more accurate I became. Mm. What a great gift you gave me. And I spent three months just working on those things. And now I teach them in class. I attribute you, you know, and I know you got them from somewhere else, but I don't care. You're the first source to be. And that helps us grow. And you presented something that was contradictory to my thinking, which is what I needed as a coach, mm-hmm. you know, and it helped me grow tremendously. And, you know, I was shooting a day and you know, suddenly I've got splits like I always wanted them, <laughs> you know, but there's no work involved. And yeah. then I went to AJ Zito and Tim Heron's train for mastery class, because if you're a coach, you better never stop training, Yep. you know, cause things are growing. But Tim came up and did something and, you know, we we're talking about too much tension. He grabbed my right arm and he, he just squeezed my bicep because you feel that. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, that's too much. He goes, if you relax your right arm, you're going to be faster. But part of me was like, nah, I got to grip the gun. Both yeah. hands have to be good. You know? So I came back and I kept working on it and suddenly everything got faster and smoother because I was doing too much, you know? And mm. honestly, I got to tell you, that's what coaching is. It's very seldom too little. It's almost always too much of something. So mm. I, I, I want to give you some credit on that, but I wanted you to know the impact you made and that you're doing a good job and I'm giving you a feedback so that you improve. And there was a connection there and you generally like to connect with people. I watch you do it. You like them to, to, to work and you like to explore the ends of human performance. So that's what good coaches do. And that's mm. not a taught skill, but it should be. Mm. There's a plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Dang. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm humbled to, to, you know, hear your words and, um, mm. but you're an earnest instructor. You know, that's, you want, you just, you just love, you wanted to help people. That's apparent from the moment that I stepped on to the range with you. And I can't say that's true with everybody, you know? Um, And I've gone to classes and there's a couple of people I'll never take their class again because it was about them. Even when I did well, they took credit for it, Mm -hmm. you know? So what are you teaching the student at that point? What are you teaching your client that they're dependent upon you? And that, that runs out of it. Um, And if you're a really good instructor, People will even know that you improved them. They'll just get better. So you did a great job on that. And uh, it's guys, this is not to plug him or anything, but I wanted to share an experience because he asked me about something and this is the feedback loop. It's important. (laughs) And uh, Riley is an up and coming, you know, instructor. And that always feels odd. Doesn't it? How long you been shooting? 
Um, some, <laughs> I would say like 10 years, like in a yeah. semi-serious you know, manner, you know? Yeah. You came out of nowhere. That's what they always say, right? You just, you just, but it's not true. There's always 10 years of development yeah. because that's what expertise really requires. It's not a mark. It's not a time mark, but that's the exploratory process. And then you start feeling confident and you can teach on that. And, you know, I'm very excited to see guys like you coming up. That's why I created a course like this, because it's going to be technically agnostic. I don't care about the technical side very much as long as it, you know, cause we know there's some variations in grip. There's some variation in trigger press, all those things. There's the idea of fundamentals is, is kind of flawed. You know, it has to be a certain way. That's not true. Uh, hand size matters, speed matters, vision matters, all that stuff matters. So we got to find the sweet spot for you. Um, and so what I'm going to teach is going to be technically agnostic, but I'm going to ask the person teaching it not only to defend it, but to destroy it. Because you should take the other side of your position and see what the flaws in it is. You know, how often yeah. do you change your mind, Riley, about technical skills? That's an interesting question. How often? I would say as as often as I am able to. Yeah. Frankly. So what's the problem with not changing? It means you're stubborn. Yeah. You're clinging in it. And this goes back to filters. There's conservative filters and liberal filters. Please don't put the political part of that in there. <laughs> but if I'm conservatively driven with information, it means I let little information in, but nothing escapes. So once I program it, it's mine forever. That's your accuracy shooter. A more liberal filter lets everything in, but they have a hard time holding on to stuff. So they're constantly jumping from one thing to the next. New gun, new holster, new training. This guy's the best trainer in the world. What we all need to be doing is we we, we can be two things in life. We can be right or we can be certain, but very seldom will we be both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if you're legitimately seeking better performance, you're never certain that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> you may be right, but in three weeks, you may change your mind. So every time somebody comes to the class, I'm like, listen, this is the class now, but it will be different because it's alive. It's living and it's surrounded by people and we're going to continue to grow. So it's good that you change your mind. It's good that you do this, but you also have to think about what's the other side of it. Anybody says there's only one way, shuts down attention at that point forever. Either the person's going to buy into your way or they're out, mm -hmm. you know, and there's not, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it got brought up in my class today. Rob Latham's video, Aiming is Useless, mm -hmm. you know, broke the internet. Did <laughs> anybody listen to the message though? Mm. You know, it was a tricky title. I don't think yep. he was in charge of the title, right? Nope. But the message was was stellar. And then I got it from two other sources. I got it from another guy who's trained with him. And then I heard it from you again. And boy, mm -hmm. it all just clicked together because I was not stubborn enough to get stopped. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, you know, I uh, just a little sidebar. I, uh, I've taken several of his videos because Rob doesn't have a lot of actual written content out there. Mm -hmm. And I have transcribed them. Because mm -hmm. you know, there's a couple of those videos like that one out there that it's like if you if you just like watch the video and if you're not really really paying attention or close attention, you might miss the real message, right? And so uh, that's where I picked up a few things was like, all right, let's transcribe this because there's something here, you know. And then you start reading through it and you read it again mm -hmm. and you read it a third time, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is good, you know. So. Uh, um, yeah, I, that's been actually a real help to me. And I'll go back and refer to a couple of those uh, things that I've uh, written down of his. Um, Brian, you've got coming up in Florida, a three-day deliberate coaching uh, course. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the January 14th to the 16th. Mm 
this is is it, this is the first time you're running that course mm-hmm. officially. Yep, yep. This will be our inaugural course. So, forty years in the making. <laughs> and and we were talking beforehand. Like, I would really like to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's unfortunate that Shot Show is like the next. You know, yeah. well, I'm supposed to be in Vegas on Monday, you know, so it's like, mm. Mm, you know, because mm. I'd really like to be a part of the first time you run this, too. But uh, in case I am not able to make it, uh, although, you know, there's a certain part of me that's like, please, SHOT Show, get canceled. So, <laughs> and I'll go hang out with Brian for three days in, in, in January. Um, what can what can folks expect? If, you know, I'm, I'm throwing this out there. Hopefully people will uh, go check this out, get signed up. Uh, I think based on just our conversation today, this would be absolutely worthwhile. What can they expect in that three-day deliberate co- coaching course? Uh, I I broke it down to the three parts. Uh, the client, and that could be you, uh, mm-hmm. the coach, and then the teaching. And the idea is to put neuroscience behind the teaching, understand how the brain works, uh, how it works for you, how it works for somebody else, to understand how to communicate effectively and be a good presenter at the same time, or with other people, uh, and understand the basis of the performance metrics that we all have to do. And I'm going to do something, I'm not going to give away a big part of it, but it's something that's that's important. Uh, You will coach somebody else in that class, and that's how you will be judged and tested is your coaching performance. So most instructors' classes, you go and it's a curriculum-based thing. Here's the curriculum, learn the curriculum, shoot the curriculum, now go teach the curriculum. And this will be the opposite. You will build a curriculum of your own because we're already all doing that. And we will learn how to improve it, defend it, take it apart, put it back together, how the metrics affect what you're seeing, when to change directions, when to pivot, when to improve, when to abandon something, because that's often hard for instructors. We love things, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we don't get the results that we want to. How to take advantage of surprise information, uh, like I teach the compressed surprise trigger break. It's not really a surprise, but we know that's what it was named. And what I found out is it's the easiest way to get people to shoot accurately because as soon as they're waiting for the timer to go off, they do everything else pretty well, which was a surprising unintended consequence. So in this class, what we're going to do is explore that and how to teach people to create uh, a set of fundamentals that truly work for the human being, such as postural stability. Uh, I put grip and posture together because they really can't be separated. Uh, you don't grip with your hands, you grip with the back of your shoulders, you grip with your arms, and then that's connected to your core and how your legs are set up. So your whole body's involved in that. Uh, sights and trigger can never be divorced from each other, nor should they. Uh, what you're seeing tells you how fast to press the trigger on the target and how you're pressing the trigger and affecting the sights is what tells you what speed. So they got to go together. Uh, and then I teach what I call process instead of follow through uh, because follow through is an archery term. And we have to release the arrow and let it pass the bow. And that's not what happens with pistol shooting. Frankly, from the moment we press, the dot is beginning to lift. So what we need to record is where it lifted from and then be ready to track it back in in a predictive manner. Because we know we can either shoot deliberately, reactively, or predictively. So we'll work these concepts. And what I'm going to do is give people a chance to explore them with another group and really see how they integrate with their own style of shooting, with their own style of teaching, or with their own style of just being better at who they are. And they'll be able to make a better course, a better program for themselves. And hopefully it will shortcut 
the god awful amount of time that I wasted on on dead curriculums that didn't get people where they should. And I have great regrets about that because uh, a large majority of my career was wasted on things that didn't matter. And mm-hmm. I would like to save people that process, and I'd like to get them to the point where they can think critically about this and get better at what they do. Amen, brother. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Well, like I said, folks, I, I think this would be a, a wonderful opportunity for you yeah. to consider attending. So uh, go to Brian's website, thecompletecombatant.com. Click on schedule, 2022 schedule. You'll see right there, very first thing, uh, very first course of the year that, you, that mm-hmm. you've got on the calendar, the three-day deliberate co- coaching course. So um, in Florida, should be nice that time of year. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I head there next week. I'll let you know. I'm teaching a class this weekend. So uh, it looks like it's going to be 80 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> no all seasons out. in Florida. <laughs> in, in my previous life, back when I was in the construction industry, I used to attend the the uh, International Builder Show in, in Orange County. Oh, that sounds um, like fun. <laughs> every, every January, I did that for, I don't know, four or five years, something like that. And, uh, I always enjoyed it. I mean, occasionally it'd, yep. it'd be a little bit rainy or something, but yep. it's a good time of year to be in Florida. That's for sure. Amen. Well, cool, man. Uh, do you feel like, I mean, I, I've, again, I feel like there's so much I got to go back and almost re-listen to just to, for my own personal sake to unpackage it and, and think through it and, and, and start, you know, reconciling a lot of what we discussed with, what I already know, what I think I knew, what I think I understood and, 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 you know, and, and just figuring out, you know, like, uh, where it, uh, where it applies to me and in, and where I'm at in my life currently. And as a, as an instructor and as a coach, um, but, but do you feel like we've, uh, that we've, we've done it justice as far as like yeah. what we brought you here to talk about for today. And, and if so, mm-hmm. I mean, what final words would you like to leave with, our audience before we let you go. So let me give you the improvement words. Uh, it's not the technical skill somewhere inside you resides the decision to do something. And we have to understand what's driving us to decide to do something. Uh, you can have somebody teach you to press a trigger or grip the gun correctly and still make the wrong decision over and over. So if you start to understand how you work at a deep level and the pressures that you're bringing to bear that may be conscious and unconscious You can quickly rephrase your consciousness to shoot better. We're not teaching you skills. We're teaching you a different level of consciousness, which means that's where real performance is. You've heard athletes say that it's 90% mental. This is what they mean is how do we decide under pressure to perform well? And if you get anything out of this, I want you to examine your decisional model and then look at recognition. Prime decisions is a great place to start. And he gives you, uh, three industries that do a really good job, firefighting, uh, the medical industry and aviation, because lives are on the line. It matters. And you got to make quick decisions and they got to be good enough. And if we can get you guys all the good enough, you get success and then your image builds. And once your image builds, you become unshakable. Uh, you know, I have a mantra that I say to myself before I shoot every time I say, I'm accurate, I'm consistent, I'm efficient and I'm disciplined. And I understand the requirements of the target relative to the goal that I'm trying to achieve. So if you, you say anything, Hey, Brian, don't shoot a mic. You can't shake me anymore. I'm unflappable at that point because I've been locked in a cage to fight another human being. So you're, I'm not going to talk anything to myself, but I'm going to be prepared 
my self-image guides me. That's Lenny Basham's work. He was, you know, with winning in mind, you should think about that. Build the image, build the success, make the probable possible all the time and then increase it so that you can do it at least nine out of 10 times. And you're really going to enjoy shooting because let's not forget, this is fun too. Mm -hmm. It's deadly serious, but our primitive minds love to shoot. They love to throw things at things. Little boys grow up with slingshots for a reason. They throw rocks at the lake. We enjoy this, and it's there's a real process of self-discovery. I'm starting to sound like some sort of personal guru, but it starts always with you and the decisional process. So, Awesome. Uh, final words there. And, and again, we appreciate you and your time here today, Brian. Uh, I think you've given, a lot, uh, given us a lot to think about. Um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you, as I as I always do. Should probably uh, utilize you more as a resource more often. So, dude, I can't wait to shoot with you again, man. You know we're we're on the circuit, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you you definitely more so than I, you know. But uh, as far as getting out there and teaching, uh, but I will be. I'm sure we crossing paths with you this year, and I yep. look I do look forward to it. Uh, again, folks, uh, today. Brian and Shelly Hill's company, the complete combatant honorary sponsors of this episode, the complete combatant.com. And then also one more shout out to our other episode sponsor, which of course is ourselves in our guardian nation uh, membership program. And um, we encourage you to give that a look, take it, you know, take full advantage of the many, many, many hours of training content, informational content, educational content that's in the members area. And also, other great benefits being part of, the, of, of that program. Uh, so with that, we're going to, we're going to sign on out of here. We're going to let you go. Uh, and I'm going to wish you again, most merriest of Christmases and happiest of holidays, not only you, Brian and Shelly, but also all of our listeners and viewers out there in the concealed carry podcast land. And uh, until I see you again, uh, and or if I don't talk to you before, Although I, I hope to, because we should do so. If I don't talk to you before your course in January, I hope that inaugural course goes off with just resounding success. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate everything you do. And I appreciate the venue and your your uh, viewership and listenership uh, for the chance to talk to them. And I hope uh, some small bar to me hopes that it made a difference for somebody. Because uh, that's the goal always. So happy Christmas and Merry New Year and all that stuff to you yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, folks, with that, we're going to let you go. And until next time, we remind you to train right, train often, and train safe mm-hmm. so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.